0: You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Children of God, get ready. God has made you, God loves you, and God wants to live in you. And I just want all of you children of God to know that you are welcome today. We're glad that you're here. Now, if you brought your children's Bible today, you will not find the story in it. If you have an illustrated version of the Bible, you're not going to find this story in it. This is the kind of story that's scandalous. It's the kind of story that makes you wonder why anyone would be following Jesus still today. It's the kind of story about Jesus where theologians sit around and still try to decipher exactly what this means. This is an unvarnished story. It's a difficult story. It's like when you get down and you're trying to get the paint scraped off. You're ripping out the paint thinner, the chemical compounds to strip down and get down to the wood. It's hard work. It's difficult to get to these kinds of stories because they show the extreme difficulty it is to follow Jesus and what that looks like. Today, Jesus takes his apostles, his disciples, on a little field trip. You know, why not go on a little trip for the summer, a little internship, a time when he is like a small group leader teaching and asking questions of his disciples, More on that in a minute. For now, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. From Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, starting in verse 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But he asked them, who who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days rise again and he said all this quite openly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but turning and looking at his disciples he rebuked Peter and said get behind me Satan you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things and he called the crowds with his disciples and he said to them if anyone to become my followers let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me." The word of the Lord from the Gospel of Mark. Thanks be to God. You can find your seats. This summer, my oldest is on an internship. We got to go and see him a few weeks ago where he's located and getting to do a paid engineering internship. The summer after my freshman year, I was on an unpaid internship, but it was in the northern part of Israel. It was an internship on an archaeological dig for a couple of months. And on on this dig, you you get to the boundary line, the borderline between Israel and Syria, this farthest region where even at the time of Jesus, this is Gentile country. This is non-Jewish area, just barely inside of the place of Israel. In Caesarea Philippi, there is a, a mountain called Mount Hermon. It's the source of the River Jordan. It's a source of spring for, for, for all the water that flows down through Israel. It, there's even a, a cave, an opening to a cave, that is uh, to the Greek god Pan, where that god supposedly was... it's thought to be the gates of hades now it doesn't look that way i mean even today it's called a nature preserve and you go and it's beautiful there's water green mountains very lush all this roman architecture in fact mark twain when he visited the area he saw the site of where my dig was there were roman arches barely sticking up out of the ground well my job was dirt Lots and lots of dirt. We could see 150 yards away the opening of this cave to the gates of Hades, a place where the great King Herod had built a white glistening temple on the outside of that cave. It was a place where all kinds of animal sacrifices took place, sexual orgies, bestiality, all kinds of rituals here in this place, and I was focused on dirt, digging in my square hole, thinking about this Greek god Pan who looked something like a goat, four feet that were like hooves, like a goat, and the torso like a man, playing the flute, the nature god. Where I was digging was over what was found to be the palace of Herod. Herod the Great had built this temple and built this city and possibly built his palace, but Herod Agrippa II is the one that restored it and made this 10,000 square foot temple here in this place. Now, this place has been a site of worship to Baal or Baal for thousands of years fact, not just in Jesus' time, but stretch back to the time of Joshua, but all God, but all Hermon in the time of Judges. This has been a place of evil for a very, very long time. Well, Herod Agrippa II built this palace that, that when I was there, it was just lots of rocks After I left, evidently people were digging down and the dirt started going into the ground and opened up a cavern of this massive temple that they have yet to fully uncover. And it's pretty easy to get lost, so it's time for you to go to sleep real quick. If you don't like history, if you don't like these kind of things, so just take a quick nap. There are two Caesareas. There's Caesarea Maritime that's over on the coast, and it's the one Herod the Great built that was this aqueduct, and out into the ocean. Beautiful, beautiful place. And then there's Caesarea Philippi that Herod also built. Well, that's Herod the Great. Perhaps you remember another Herod in Acts chapter 12 when Peter is thrown in jail. Do you remember this? This is Herod Agrippa I, okay? Herod Agrippa I was the grandson of Herod the Great, and he's the one who uh, put Peter in prison and who Peter escaped from. Are you asleep yet? Okay. Herod Agrippa II, in Acts 22, he is the one who established Caesarea Philippi. He made his great-grandfather's palace amazing, made this temple amazing, and he lived there. He's the one who he and his wife-slash-sister took up permanent residence right next to the temple of Pan. And they happened to be in town in Caesarea when Paul was in prison, making his big appeal to Caesar. No, I want to see the emperor. You remember that? It's Herod Agrippa and Bernice that come and listen to Paul and give a hearing. And Paul almost gets him converted until in all their pomp and circumstance they leave. Possibly to leave that Caesarea where they heard Paul to go back home to Caesarea Philippi. Okay, now I have to kind of wake you up a little bit. This amazing place of Caesarea Philippi, a place where, in a few verses, the transfigure of Jesus, transfiguration of Jesus would take place. This is where we're at. This is what we're dealing with. And it's the site of Jesus' little field trip, a little small group discussion where he asks a few questions. Did you notice that? Let's look at them. The first question that Jesus asks, he does so much like a great small group leader. What do people say about me? What are they saying? And you get a lot of answers. And this is kind of a question that we might think that we ask a lot. You know, do Do you ever wonder, well, how did I do? How did I perform? How did I do in the game? Did I speak okay? Was that presentation all right for work, right? We kind of are uncertain and we want to get some insight or maybe it comes early on in a dating relationship where you're asking someone else does she does does he like me give me some inside info well that that's the way we are we care about what other people are thinking Jesus is asking a question that's a non-threatening question that they can answer about what they're hearing and they give the answer who do people think Jesus is dead people serious dead people that's what they say john the baptist that's the guy that herod cut the head off no not any herod i've mentioned yet but herod antipas for those that are keeping track on your scorecard of herods herod antipas took the head off of john the baptist they think you might be him reattached head resurrected back they think you might be elijah one of the great prophets from far far old or just some other of these nameless prophets that we haven't seen in a long long time that's who they think you are now when we think about jesus i wonder what people say about jesus today who is he and i can hear you saying well he's the same right well right but how do people today perceive jesus if he's leading this small group discussion they're in Banyas in Caesarea Philippi, what do people say today? Well, I can tell you that the majority of people believe that Jesus was a historical figure. There's really not a lot of question. It doesn't take any leap of faith to say that Jesus lived. He's got a track record there. They also believe, the majority of people believe, that he was a great teacher. He said some profound things that he taught about life in an amazing way. They can accept that. Now, calling him the son of God, or calling him God, 52% of Americans will not do, according to a study last year by Lifeway and Ligonier. 52%. And if you're thinking, scratching your head, that probably means a number of Christians believe that as well, right? That's right. 30% of evangelical Christians kind of wonder about whether or not he is God. Now, there'd be a lot of hand-wringing. You could write a bunch of articles and say, oh, this is terrible, it's a tragedy. Some of these people may just be thinking a bit, thinking about Jesus being the Son of God, and maybe not answering it exactly as they might intend us to understand. Nevertheless, if we ask people today who Jesus is, He's a real person, a real teacher, and perhaps he was divine. Well, Jesus' second question, his next one, is a little bit more pointed, a little bit more personal. And he asks them, Who do you say that I am? This is a point where, in the small group discussion, you have to own what you think. You have to throw it out there and put it on the table. Own your position, own your perspective. And who speaks up first? Of course he speaks up. He's like first in everything, almost. Peter speaks up first. You are the king. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. He gives the right answer. He identifies who Jesus is. He identifies the very identity of Jesus as the Christ. This is the central thing that Mark is trying to get us to get in the gospel. It's a clue that he gave us in the very first verse, the beginning of the good news, about Jesus the Christ, the King, the Son of God. He gives all that info at the front, and then here, at the midpoint, he puts it on us to say, who do you say that I am? And we're given a chance to answer just like the disciples do. Well, here in this moment, Jesus has not been too particular about jumping on with being called the Messiah or being called Son of God. And so his, his third question is not a question. It's more of a statement. Did you notice that? Peter answers the question correctly, and Jesus sternly orders them, to say nothing about them don't tell anyone about this and he begins to unpack exactly what it means to be in jesus term the son of man it means that he's going to go through great suffering that all the religious leaders are going to reject him the smartest of the smart people are going to say he's not the one they're going to kill him execute him and then he's going to rise from the dead That's the description that Jesus gives of what it means to be king. And it's at this moment that Peter gently, and think about how that is with Peter, he gently takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. Rebuke him in the same way that Jesus rebukes the waves, rebuking in the same way he tells the wind to be silent. Rebuking him in the way that he calls a demon out from a person. Jesus is rebuked by Peter. Peter can't handle this kind of an understanding of the king. He can't understand suffering, rejection. It doesn't make sense to him or to us. This is not how we view power. And so what Jesus does... As he turns away from Peter and he looks at the disciples, and he says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of humans in mind. And then he turns to the crowds. So he's not even looking at Peter. He looks at the disciples, and then he looks at the crowds. If you want to be my follower, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Here is the time when the two lions meet. And this is the time that everyone remembers. This clash between the two lions is memorable. And I look at it and I'm thankful to Peter because he gives us an unvarnished look at how crazy Jesus' teaching is. It's nuts to talk about a king who would die in this way. It does not make sense. Have you thought about it? I mean, we don't tolerate this kind of an understanding of power ourselves in terms of Christianity. How often do we use the name of Christ, Christianity, as a battle cry? Be afraid. Take up arms. Defend yourself. Protect. Right? We use Jesus has a battle cry, a rallying cry to get behind, to stand up for what we think is right, to fight for. And we look at Jesus, and He turns to Peter, and He says, get behind Me, Satan. What? I don't think He's talking just to Peter. He's talking about something much bigger than this. Much more powerful than just the words that Peter has said. I still have to just look at this and wonder, what is going on? And perhaps we've heard this story too much where we can't really hear it, but I want you to think about it in a new way. Here's Jesus standing in a place where rabbis of the day told Jews, don't go to Caesarea Philippi. Don't go there. And that's where Jesus takes to have his field trip. To stand there at the gate of hell and talk about who people say that he is. Now think about that. In a few chapters, in Mark or Matthew or wherever you want to look, but in Mark, in a few chapters, he's going to go to the temple in Jerusalem and say, eh, every stone's going to come a part of this. In the accusations in chapter 15 of why he's put to death, or in 16, when he's mocked on the cross, He said he was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. How is it that this rabbi goes into this place and says, I think I'm going to build my church right here. Jerusalem, it's going to come down, but I'm going to build my church here. This is crazy talk. Can you see it yet? You see the Jews and the people of that day, If they were diagramming the world, pictured the world as this chaos, this primordial, chaotic sea. Sea was mysterious to them. And over the sea was a mountain. But oftentimes this sea laps up and terrifies you and scares you to death. And what Jesus says in Isaiah 28 is: I am going to lay a foundation. I'm going to lay a cap on this primordial evil. I'm going to seal it off, this cave. I am going to establish the gates of heaven here, on top of all this chaos. And I'm going to show you the way to power. And it's not the way of power that you assume, it's a different path. And he calls them to deny themselves, to take up their own cross, and to follow him. Don't take up your sword, don't take up your gun, your tank. Don't arm your battle drone. Don't activate your nuclear weapon. No, stick with me and follow me. When I look at this, I try to figure out what in the world we're supposed to do with this non-children's story today. There's a lot in it that we can relate to. But I think the biggest thing that is trying to be expressed here is that disciples have to be very aware of the temptation to control Jesus. To tell Jesus what Jesus needs to do for you. To direct Him, to guide Him into the paths that you want. I I don't think Jesus is calling Peter Satan any more than He's calling any of us Satan. What He is identifying is the temptation to achieve and secure power By earthly means. That's the temptation. Just like the temptation of Satan where jump up on the temple, fly, turn these stones to bread. Just like Satan was tempting Jesus there to take power and take control. Here in the words of Peter, he's being tempted to take the easy path. The path where everyone will look to him as the leader. And we're there too. Don't we want success? don't we want to be on the winning team? The Christian team? To be the it church? The slick church? The one that has it all together? Am I right? We'll we'll put up with a a little bit of suffering. By that I mean, you know, we get a little ribbing at work. If there's some kind of big payout, if we're going to have some success, we'll, we'll take some persecution. But, I mean, don't... Kick me out of my neighborhood. Don't subject me to physical harm for standing up for who Jesus is. We we want the big payout. We want the avoidance of suffering. We tend to direct and guide and use Jesus for our own powers. For our own pictures of what success looks like. And folks, if we're going to take the confession of Jesus as King. We're going to have to affirm his path of suffering. We can't look at Jesus as just taking might and strength and victory into his hands, titles and positions, without understanding the suffering that he told us he was going to go through. Suffering that he invites us to follow him into. Peter represents what all of us are as disciples. His mistakes, his missteps, his foibles, all of these things give us comfort and hope. We're not above suffering. We're not above difficulty. And this confession that he makes is the foundation upon which Jesus does build the church. If we looked at the Matthew story in Matthew 16, 18, Here in Caesarea Philippi. It makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The gates of Hades, that today is a nature preserve, a river, a peaceful aqueduct. If we want to pursue Jesus, we have to come to terms with the very difficult reality that we will share the fate of the one that we follow. And we have to ask ourselves if we're willing to follow Jesus to the places that He's going. Not just where we want to go or where we think we ought to go, but where Jesus is going. These crazy things that Jesus spoke openly about, challenge us challenge us not to take the easy path of what we think is successful not just to stick to our own plan not just to be focused in on our fights and our victories it's okay to raise some of these with jesus right we probably have our own little disagreements just like peter did with jesus are there places where you're kind of having it out with jesus right now some arguments that you're having Things where maybe he's not doing what you want him to be doing in your life. Are you there? Sometimes we think that we get to choose our exit strategy from this life and exit as we wish. But we don't. Sometimes we're completely unaware of the forces that are going on around us. To be on a peaceful dig right there at the gates of hell looking at all the allegiances that can be out there so maybe we need to think for a bit about what are our sacred spaces today cave of pan is just a place to visit now but what are our sacred places is it the stadium is it the marketplace is it google is it our work What are the things that we just can't let go of? Like our phones? Our cars? Certain people? What are those things that we entrust power and think are the way to the exclusion of who Jesus is? Well, I told you at the front this was not a story you can find in your children's Bibles because it really just leaves us with one question to think about. One question to wrestle with, maybe for the rest of our lives, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus for us? And am I willing to share in the fate of the one that I follow? Am I willing to go to the places where Jesus is leading me to go? Let's pray. God, we confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God. And we also confess that our understanding of that is very limited. And often our ability to apply that, to truly let You be King, our abilities are pretty deficient. So we pray that You'll open up new avenues of understanding in our life of places that you need to take over, of strongholds that we have protected in our own heart and lives, things that we just think are so, so important when in reality they pale compared to the glory and the grandeur and the splendor of what it is for you to make us, to love us, and to want to live in us. God, we pray that you will come quickly through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit as one God now and forever. Amen.